Yeah, that's pretty much everything about me. Okay, great. You're, you're, you're not related to, the, to Zainab al-Badawi, are you? The funny thing is everyone asks me this and no, I'm not related to her, unfortunately. Okay, alhamdulillah. I think for me, like, I almost had like two different lives, if that makes sense. Like, when I was growing up until about 11, I lived a completely British life in the sense that, like, I was always outside playing with my family and my friends from so many different backgrounds. And, like, I didn't know anything other than that. I just remember like going to English school in the mornings and Arabic school in the evenings and like just absolutely being so immersed in my education but also having like so much fun on the street playing sports and then like then I went to Sudan and then I created memories there that were like completely different in the sense that like I got to know this country that my parents were from and mm. they like they had brothers and sisters and parents and it was so alien to me that concept of them having a family because yeah. I grew up most of my life with just them and mm. um, so yeah I kind of had that like dual sort of thing that was always going on with me I, I feel like I always felt like I belonged when I was till about 11 and then when I saw the other side of where I'm from and who I am it got really confusing mm. until it didn't like until I found my place in Sudan as well and like understood the system there and understood how to travel around and do things on my own so visiting as Asmal Bedawi from Sudan rather than visiting my family and my mum's you know parents etc because I have to because that's mm. what we do as Sudanese people. We go every summer and we spend time with our family. So, yeah, it was quite an interesting childhood because there was there was those two kind of different um, times in my life. Right. Okay. You know, so so when do you feel like and then you felt that kind of balance? Okay. Now I understand, you know, what, how, how I'm, you know, I'm Sudanese, but I'm also British. And But when did you kind of feel that balance and you felt okay with your identity? 
I'll say like it started at uni. So at uni, Ooh. I started doing a lot more research into what it means to be British and Sudanese. And because I studied photography and video, so I always had my camera with me. And every time I'd go home, like back to Sudan, I'd take pictures. And then when I was here, I'd take pictures. And then I was just so interested in what it means to be Sudanese in the sense that like you you were born there but you don't really spend your life there but you that's your blood is that like you look Sudanese you you speak that language at home your parents feed you that kind of food but at the same time you've taken on like values from this country and that used to confuse me a lot because when I'd go back to Sudan my family members would kind of say like they'd call me the Khawaja and like oh Khawajia and it was like the, the English girl and yeah. I didn't quite 100% fit in to begin with and then when I'd come here we were sort of like the foreign kids we weren't the British English you know but as I started researching more and more and then I kind of got into my master's and then my master's was literally all about just my identity so I studied it for two years and then mm. I started looking a lot at like Stuart Hall and like his interpretation of identity and then I started getting mm. comfortable with this idea of like identity can change and it doesn't have to be one thing yes. and it's fluid and mm-hmm. it just made me feel like I don't have to be one thing the whole time I can change I can grow and I can be whoever I want but then I became comfortable with this idea of being from both these places mostly I'd say when I started visiting Sudan alone mm. so I wouldn't go with my parents and if I went with my parents I would be on the complete opposite side of Sudan to them and yeah. I'd travel alone you know with my uncles and stuff and then I started making my own group of friends and I'd have like places that I would go and play basketball and places that I would just go and perform poetry and do the things that I would normally do in UK. Mm. And that's when it kind of like hit me like I'm from here and I'm from there and I'm comfortable in both these spaces. Mm. Therefore I'm both. Right. Excellent. Really interesting. So um, yeah. so what was your what was your masters in then? It was in visual arts. Okay, okay, interesting, interesting, yeah. No, because I remember I, I studied Stuart Hall as well. I, I, really? I, yeah, but I, I studied him in uh, in, in sociology because I, I, I did sociology at, at Roehampton. But and uh, and then we studied like um, cultural studies as well. And cultural studies, it, Stuart Hall was really popular in that. But it, with cultural studies, it was the idea that you could learn a lot about. Um, uh, a person's culture in their music in their arts yeah you know and it's the, that is so interesting because like with the whole especially with, with, with the black culture when you look in when you delve into the music of the time you can kind of learn a lot about what was happening in that time you know what are the struggles you know like if you think about the 60s and then like you think we had you know we had the the, the civil war the, the, the civil rights movement and then we had mm. sort of like songs like you know like I'm black and I'm proud James Brown and we had songs that kind of reflected the struggles of that time you know and that was something that was um that I found really interesting but um okay so um, but when did you start um so when did you start like really um getting into basketball um just before we get back to that um 
I actually did my A levels in sociology and psychology. Oh. So that's why, like, a lot of my art and like my poetry and like who I am as a person always goes back to that. Because oh, yeah, I I always was interested in the world around me and the Ooh. way things operated and why people the way were the way they were. So yeah, so that's kind of like how Stuart Hall made his way into like my art and things. Ooh. But yeah, and like basketball, I I had a basketball when I was young and we had a basketball court near our house, and I used to go and I'd just shoot because I was actually a netball player. So Ooh. I would just go and shoot for hours and we'd play games. But I didn't like being defended. So we always played games that didn't have anything to do with defence. And then when I went to uni, I stopped playing sports altogether for like two years. And because I just assumed, you know, like we don't see Muslim women on TV. Yeah. You know, it's not something that's normal. And like a lot of the community weren't really big on Muslim women playing sports at the time. So I just stopped and I also went to all Muslim girls like school so mm. I just thought that like my parents probably only let me continue playing sports because I was always in all female environments which mm. wasn't the case but I just assumed that for some reason and it, it kind of shows why communication is key like if I communicated this with them a lot earlier it might yes. have been a different place right now but mm. yeah I, I started playing while I was at uni and just absolutely loved it and it was like the first sport that like really really challenged me because I'd always been someone who just got something really quickly especially in sports and I just was good at everything and then with this it was all of a sudden it was like I always saw defense as like an obstacle and mm. and I didn't enjoy the challenge but at the same time I always wanted to rise up to it. So, yeah, I, I ended up playing for a few years and then speaking to my parents about my love for sport and how I want to do this for, like, the rest of my life in some mm. form. And my dad was so encouraging and he talked to me about how, like, Sudan was this country that so many women represented in terms of in sports and he was telling me about like this team that was called the Raidat that were all women basketball team and how amazing they were and stuff and he used to always just encourage me and say you know this doesn't have to be something just on the court it can be something that you can talk about and inspire other people as well and I just used to laugh because I used to be like dad I just want to play basketball like I don't know about all these other things that you want me to do <laughs> you know <laughs> But like, subhanAllah, Allah had different plans for me. SubhanAllah. And that, that's really amazing, actually. And your, your your dad sounds great because, you know, like, for example, especially, you know, with a lot of um, uh, African families, they just, it, they're quite strict. They just want you to do either, like, you know, become like a banker or a lawyer or an architect or a doctor or something like around that line. So when it comes to the things like the arts or sports, you know, they're not really, you know, that supportive. So that is amazing that your dad was very, you know, open-minded and supportive. Yeah, I think I was very open. I mean, I'm the youngest. There's only two of us, but I'm still the youngest. Yeah. And I think from a very young age, like, my parents used to sit with us and they would tell us, like, things that were going on within the family in the sense that, like, say if my mum wanted to buy a house, like, we would 
be included in the conversation so it was like grown-up things that were happening but my brother and I would always like be involved so they created an environment where we could actually speak to them about a lot of things and ironically I was going to be an architect and like I'd, <laughs> I'd literally like I remember filling out my UCAS and like I was about to submit it and my mum wasn't in the country at the time and I remember just like bringing my dad into the kitchen because he was there and I was just like dad I really don't like maths like I don't see myself doing this Mm. for a long time and actually enjoying it and I want to do something else and he was just like okay what do you want to do and I told him I wanted to do fashion and um he was like okay look you know let's meet in the middle so he was the one that kind of suggested why don't you go and do art and design because that Mm. kind of has a bit of both and then yeah. that's what we ended up doing we ended up spending the evening looking at different universities and then I applied for like an art and design course but then after the first year I specialized in photography and then that was kind of like my life after that it was always photography but it was a very interesting journey for me because I think you know like having my dad and my mom as well like every step of the journey meant that like I I didn't have barriers in my own house that I had to mm. overcome and it was just whatever barriers I had to face on the outside and in many ways I didn't really see those barriers because I was just focused on who I am and my goals and what I wanted to achieve. Mm, brilliant, yeah, really good, really good. So um, tell us, so, so do you play like basketball professionally then? No, so I basically finished uni and then started playing um, in for like for a couple of teams, and then I played for like a team that like you'd consider it professional in the sense that we had to sign contracts and like we weren't allowed right. to play for other national teams. But right. with myself, like I always knew like I'm not gonna get the opportunity to play professionally because I started playing basketball really late. The f- one and two like women's sports is not as um forward as as progressive basically as men's so everyone that i know who plays the sport even when they represent the country that is a female still has a side job like a proper like nine to five type job on top of that so i kind of had to basically do poetry and do other things and I just chose to go into a career that meant that like I'm not able to always be part of a team um right yeah and also like where I live like I live in the north of England and we did used to have a team here and it was really amazing when we did and then things kind of changed and I don't know if I'm dying to play you know to the point where I want to relocate somewhere where mm. I I can play but I would have to work like three four times harder just to right. do the whole I'm gonna pay the rent so that I can play but I might not be able to play mm. because I'm gonna be working all the time um right, right. yeah but that's like a bigger conversation you know like that's like the issues that kind of affect women when it comes to sports right Okay, that that leads perfectly onto uh, my next question I had for you. And that is, so were there any challenges that you faced being a Muslim girl interested in basketball? 
For me personally, I felt like I went through life not realizing that there were barriers and when I got to a certain age and then found out about the campaign and got invited to be part of it, that's when a lot of like things started to add up. Like I didn't see anyone when I was younger playing sports. I didn't dream of like being an athlete. It's not that like the thought never popped into my head. It did, but it was just not the norm. And I never saw anyone who looked like me and wore hijab. So mm. I just always kind of like yeah. thought, okay, that's because of Islam. But then when I found out about the ban, it was like, oh, wow, like girls didn't have the opportunity to even make those teams where they were suddenly being seen on TV because of the rules that were put in place that kind of prevented them to from progressing. And I think that was probably one of the biggest barriers I faced the other one I would say was just the general attitude towards women and women's bodies in the Sudanese community, in like the wider Muslim community, where it wasn't acceptable for a Muslim woman to to play. Like her body had to be viewed and seen in a specific way. And it was almost like the word that we use in Arabic is ib, like yeah, I don't, I don't know how to translate it, but it's just like almost shameful. Like it's shameful for a woman to run around, and so I think for for a long time it was almost like we played, but we weren't so vocal about us playing all the time because it wasn't something that we were supposed to be doing. Yes, yes, I can see that there's many, many challenges um, for, you know, for Muslim women. But alhamdulillah, we, we are seeing, you know, like changes because we're seeing, you know, Muslim women that are sort of like just, you know, pushing the barriers and uh, uh, changing things, especially, especially like in the West. I think, you know, we're seeing, you know, uh, Muslim women reaching positions of, of power, leading, um, leading uh, companies or even in, in America, you see lots of, Muslim women like um, involved in politics and stuff so it, throughout they're changing you know Muslim women are, re- are really changing things I know f- even in sport there's there, there's like um, there's a, a sister called uh, Ramla Ramla Ali who is like yeah. um, she's like a boxer as well so we're, we're finding in all different areas now alhamdulillah which is good things are changing you know alhamdulillah um so, so let, let, let's move on and talk about your poetry because I know that you're you're a poet. I've actually heard you perform, mashallah, some you know some really nice poetry. Alhamdulillah. Thank you. So tell me, so when did you start writing poetry? I started writing at around the age of eight. Like oh, I remember wow. exactly the classroom that it happened in, the teacher who was teaching it, and um, I'm dyslexic, so like I just always remembered like having red markings on my pages yeah. and and then we learned about poetry and my brain just loved it it was like oh my god there's no rules <laughs> you know <laughs> like everything before that had rules and like I just started writing more and more and 
when I went to like high school I I would write and it was just like a private thing I didn't really share it and then when I went to uni I remember like wanting to find like a creative writing class and stuff like that and then the only class that I found clashed with basketball training so I was just like "Mm, I'd rather be at basketball than you know this but I kept writing and I remember like I would share with a couple of friends here and there and eventually like when I finished uni I realized that like this is something that I wanted to pursue outside of like because I used to always have it with my photography so it'd either be at the beginning of a, a collection of poetry or it'd be like on a wall with a set of images and that kind of thing so I kind of wanted it separate from images and and visual things I wanted to see what it looked like in a space just read out and Mm. I was always intrigued by the performance side of poetry because I used to watch deaf poetry drum when I was little and yeah absolutely used to love it like I would just sit and feel so mesmerized by like the words that were coming out of these people's mouths and like the social issues that they were trying to tackle and yeah like as soon as I got the chance to to, to try that I just I just went for it and that's kind of like how I started to like get known mm. for for as Asma al-Badawi and then the basketball stuff came after a lot of people think it was the basketball then the poetry it was actually yeah. the poetry that opened up my world because like I'm like I'm a northern girl you know like and now I'm doing stuff outside of this space and mm. it it feels great to to know that poetry was the thing that exposed me to the rest of the world. Mm. Yeah, yeah, really, really good, really interesting. Yeah, poetry is great. I, I don't know if you know, like um, the the two sisters, their poetic pilgrimage. Yeah, yeah, I've met them a okay. few times. Okay, great. Because you know, like Manira, like she's a good friend of ours as well. Manira, she's um, uh, um. What did you say again? She, she's uh, just rap, uh, doesn't she? But she, she raps as well, yeah, and, and she does her, her her poetry as well. But then I'm a, at school, she had issues as well with like with the with, with the writing. Ah, oh, I didn't know that. Yes, the same as the same. Uh, what, what did you say? Dyslexia. Dyslex. She she was she's dyslexic as well, and she went through um, uh, school. Of being challenged like that, and she didn't even realize actually that she was dyslexic until she got to university. And I think when she got to university, it was someone that actually said to her, You know what? Um, are you dyslexic? And she's like, well, I, don't know. I don't know. That's what happened like, with me. You need to get it checked out. You need to go and get this. Then she did, and they found that she was dyslexic. Because of that, you know, then lots of different sort of things opened up for her, you know, that she didn't even know about. Yeah, you know what? The interesting thing is I had the same journey and wow. like because I I used to live by the library. So yeah. all the kids on our streets just run to the library and like literally just play games. But I used to go and like pick out like books and just take them home and read. So I would just read like all the time. So like initially when we did like a dyslexia test at school, I didn't show up as extremely dyslexic right. because 
I'd read a lot and like my understanding was quite high for my age. Uh, the only issue that like came up was like that I my spelling was really bad and it was really below my age group. Yes. And so they, d- they didn't offer any support for that. But like later, my tutor realized at uni mm. and he was just like, you should get tested. And so I got tested and obviously they do like a more comprehensive, like it's a three hour exam. Oh, and wow. Yeah. And like you do it with a psychologist. And I remember like sitting opposite him yeah. and he was asking me like math questions and I was calculating with my fingers under the desk yeah. and he wrote that on the form. And I was like, how did you know? Like, how did you know? Like I was doing that. But like... The interesting thing and something that I would always cherish is like when I got the form back, it's, you know, when you're first told you're dyslexic, you kind of think, oh my God, like, am I, am I stupid? Like, what's wrong with me? But it actually just showed me what I'm extremely good at and what I'm not that great at and what I should focus on. And for me, my verbal communication was like, it felt like in the 1% of the population or something. Mm. And I remember like Amazing. my tutor was just like, you need to use this to your advantage. And that's what I did for mm. like from that point on. It was just like I used my strongest like assets to keep moving forward. And the things that I felt like I needed help with, that's where I accepted help for. Um, but if I didn't do that, test and like, I wouldn't have known what I'm good at and what I'm not Amazing. good at yeah yeah that's brilliant okay so um, um, just staying on the idea of your poetry so tell us what's been your most sorry can you repeat that please um, what has been your most successful step with your poetry ah I think one is the book that's about yeah. to come out, um, yeah, Belongings. Okay. That's definitely like a big, big thing for me. Yes. But also, I, when I first started off, I, I think within like four months, I entered the competition with BBC One Extra and the Roundhouse. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I won for Leeds. So yeah, and it was really interesting because your daughter won the year after I think oh yeah but she yeah, won a different yeah she yeah, won she something worked, different yeah in, in London she did London um, the roundhouse yeah yeah so we 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 won that like me and another five of us so in total we were six but we were all like across the country Amazing. and then we we got all our training was in the roundhouse yeah so I got to just be exposed to poetry in the sense that like as a career like Ooh. how do you do your own bookings how do you like do media mm. um, interviews etc how do you talk about issues that you're not really wanting to speak about you know how do you like avoid issues basically that you don't want to talk about in media and all this kind of media training right. so that was really great and um, I think that was a big big thing for me because it was like as soon as I opened up my like heart to poetry yeah then the support was there like the mentoring was there I think we got mentored for like six months and then um and then yeah from then on I just just kept going because I just felt like it was a huge opportunity 
and I needed to make the most of it. So I would say like that was definitely another one. And like the last one would probably be like going to Sudan and and working on like poetry videos mm. with with Sudanese artists yeah and making those poems like what's the word like giving them life in terms of like it's an actual story and you can watch the video because mm. I was really big on that like I don't like necessarily introducing people to my poetry in just a way that I'm just sitting in front of the camera and reading mm. because I, I I don't feel like that is true to who I am as a person. I'm artist, I'm creative. I love having the visuals that go alongside it. Yeah. So yeah, so having the opportunity to kind of like do that new times with with artists that I never knew, like I never ne- never met them before, but then when I'd gone out to Sudan, I'd, I'd built that relationship where I could keep going back and keep creating work with my own people, but about poetry. Mm. And you know, I heard that um, that in Sudan they've got like a great poetry scene. Yeah, they've got a massive like it's called Na- Nas with no pants, and mm. it's like such an amazing space because you you go there and it's like yeah. you have Sudanese people from the the diaspora, you have Sudanese people from Sudan, you have Sudanese people that like write poetry in Arabic and English, and ones that just write purely mm. Arabic, and it's just like such an amazing night and it happens like once a month and it's invite only and all this kind of thing and it's just really really fun to be mm. part of what, what, what did you say it's called again nurse with notepads nurse with no pants yeah <laughs> okay okay lovely lovely so um so tell us about your book that's coming out so it's called belongings and it's kind of a celebration of like me and my family and the relationship that I have with my dad and this idea that you know as women we we grow up and we cry we laugh we work hard for our goals and our dreams and I was always kind of intrigued by this idea of like of scared of this idea of like you know you you do all of that and then you meet a man who hasn't seen you struggle for your goals Mm. and then suddenly says oh you can't work anymore or you can't be that or you you know I want you to stay at home and work and for me like the first poem in the collection is called Belongings and it's what the book is kind of mostly based around but that really talks about how you know how we erase a woman the moment she gets married and for Mm. me I kind of wanted to create a book that was just about all the things that I care about and think about before I enter that kind of phase in my life. Originally, mm. it was because I felt like half my personality will get erased. Now I just know you just pick the right guy so yeah. you don't have to erase <laughs> anything. Get the right guy, then you have to erase anything. Carry on. Exactly. And you, to be with you. Yeah, you, you know, and the white guy will actually support you in what you want to do. So, you know, it's a portrait of your poetry. Yeah, definitely. Mm. But it, it's it's never the same as your dad or your brother kind of seeing 
your blood and sweat and tears and you know like your passion for what it is that you wanted to do like unless you've been there from the beginning of the journey you'll never understand how I got there and why these things are important to me so yeah I think that's what like belongings is it's kind of about and it touches up on so many different issues like from eating disorders and mental health to like racism that I experienced like growing up and um there's a bit of spiritual stuff as well like about Islam and the idea of like calling out to Allah you know when you you don't feel like anyone on earth can kind of help because there's mm. some issues that like you can speak to people but they don't really understand it's it's Allah who really really gets to see you know everything without you saying anything and yeah that's kind of like everything in the book <laughs> amazing amazing sounds great can't wait to you know to, to read it and hear it, it sounds great so Thank you know what's uh, maybe putting you on the spot but I wonder if you could share something with us now could you share like any kind of poem with us I can Oh, is there any like so particular theme that you're thinking of? Oh no, um, no. Um, now I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah. Okay. You know what? You mentioned something interesting, and you mentioned about um, uh, racism that you suffered for some kind of racism, and you done a poem about that. Yeah. yeah that sounds quite interesting. Yeah. Okay. I will. I'll find that. I have like I have it in front of me because I oh, knew I was like he's gonna ask me he's definitely gonna ask me because <laughs> <laughs> people usually do and then I'm just like oh hang on let me just run to the other side of the room and get the book but um this one um I think it's called Playground I'll just find it right. but it it tells a story about how um when I was young in the school playground there was a there was a boy who used to bully me basically and I, I saw him when I was older on the street and I just thought yeah you you don't even know what you did like how are you saying hello to me as if you didn't do anything to me you know <laughs> yeah 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 but, yeah but it's a short one so here it is um I wonder if you remember the words you casually let slip off of your tongue in the school playground when we were just nine years old, like a viper spitting out venom. Or the headlock you stationed me in like a criminal in a public execution. Need me in the stomach over and over and let the other children hurl abuse. I wonder if you knew how many times I tried to scrub off the blackness, fry the frizziness, tame my nose, how I even went back to Africa to find home and couldn't. I wonder how you could look me in the eyes during recent encounters and walk on by. I wonder if your chest is too heavy with guilt to greet me and ask me about the details of my life or if you forgot everything ever happened. That's a really short one. Oh, There's another one that's amazing. slightly longer, but amazing, yeah, I don't know. Amazing, amazing. That was really <laughs> good. I mean, that was great. Yeah, deep, deep. I, I could really, you know... Uh, I can really picture that the, the, the harshness you know of, of, of being bullied and uh, racism and it's interesting that you said that you met him again when you was older 
and then he was just like, oh hi, like like as if you know he, he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, mm. and I think for me it was like a it was an odd time because I was in year four, and it was like the year before my brother was at school with me, and then he left, and then I was kind of like there alone, you know, and this kid just decided that you know like I I wasn't like I didn't I didn't fit in and that I'm too dark and that I should go back to Africa and I remember just always running in the playground like I would see him and just run <laughs> and it was almost like I was invisible because I don't remember anyone noticing it happening but he literally put me in headlocks and just like punch me and his friends would join in and like no one no one noticed and I was just like how is no one noticing you know and I used to fight back because like like we grew up in sort of like the hood so like we still fought back but then when you're a girl and a boy's hitting you they're still a lot stronger than you and then it was like all of a sudden one day I ran and ran into a classroom because he was chasing me and I told the teacher and it stopped so like sometimes when I look back at it and I think about it it doesn't feel real in my life like an event that actually genuinely happened because it was like it started all of a sudden and then it ended but there was no like funeral <laughs> you know <laughs> like there was no um closure or conversation about it or anything like that and just happened and stopped and I think when I'd seen him I kind of just went and wrote this and that mm. was my closure mm. yeah Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, so when you wrote this, this was a closure. Yeah. Mm, right. Lovely, lovely. I mean, okay, great. So, um, would you like to share one more with us? Sure. Shall we go for a more light-hearted? <laughs> to be honest, yeah. none of my phones are light-hearted. Um, but let me try and find something. Yeah, there's quite a lot. Um, maybe this one. But this is a bit... Mm. I... There's so many. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this one, because it kind of relates to like what we were talking about. Um, it's kind of a bit mental healthy, but also like what it means to be like Sudanese and raised on a different, like on a different side of the world. But yeah, this one's called Fireplace. Mama sang in the kitchen, in the loving home of her husband and two children, longing to be reunited with her extended family just for a second. Life is colder in all forms on this side of the ocean, she would say. I don't know if she ever knew I was listening, listening to her sing songs about her country, her parents and siblings. She always spoke in a soft manner. May God be with you, my children. I can't imagine how hard it must have been to pack for a year and remain for a lifetime. My poems speak of home the same way Mama used to sing of her country, painful with a sweet melody. One night, Mama and Baba let me scream, unfazed by what the neighbours would say. Battling with demons that have settled in my veins, I kept screaming. I tried to throw out their furniture. Maybe they will leave if my flesh feels less homely. But they secured their chairs and beds back onto the floorboards, carved paintings onto my chest walls, danced 
on the carpets. My ribs grew to accommodate them and to shelter them from the winds. Mama asks me if I feel better after a moment of silence. I guess they have vacated. Or is it that my lungs have simply emptied out the toxic fumes from their fireplace? In the quiet night, I sing songs my mother used to sing in the kitchen that remind me of a warm side to life, where the radio blasted out verses of the Qur'an along the, along the long Medani roads and my mother's siblings embraced me with open arms in the countryside. This side of the world gets cold. A warmth on the other side of the ocean always awaits me, but my feet are firmly anchored into the footprints of Britain. Hmm. Mashallah, mashallah, mashallah. Lovely, <laughs> lovely. Oh, that's really good. Your poetry is really nice. You know, it, it actually takes you, takes you away, and you know, you can really picture, you know, um, what's happening, what you're going through. Fantastic, mashallah. Really good. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much. Okay, so like, um, if people want to, um. Uh, get in contact with you, you know, just you know, t- tell people how they can get in contact with you. How they can, how can they find you on social media? So, all my social media um, accounts are the same, they're just Asmal Badawi. Um, it's just, I don't, I don't know if I need to spell it out, <laughs> but <laughs> it's just A S M A E L B A D A W I, and there's no like, um hyphens or anything like that um but yeah that's basically on on twitter instagram i'm on clubhouse as well now <laughs> oh, <laughs> finally yes, yes, yes. um but yeah like yes, brilliant um they're they're usually like the platforms that i've been using the most excellent brilliant well as well mashallah thank you so much has been a really great interview it's really interesting actually so really nice to hear um about um uh, your life and um you know good luck with your book inshallah you know when your book is coming out just send me some info and i'll help to promote it as well for you inshallah that means so and, much um, thank uh, you yeah you're welcome you're welcome alhamdulillah <laughs> so like and um I, i'll probably see you on clubhouse yeah we'll see. we're doing our thing tomorrow <laughs> Yeah, no, sure. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna pass through. I'll pass through tomorrow. No problem. Uh, like, for like inviting me to speak and like to share, you know, my story with like the people that you know, you know, and it's just it's just nice to be able to talk sometimes about the story behind your work rather than just the work. So yeah, thank you for that opportunity. No, you're welcome. You're welcome, Charlie. Okay, you take care, Shala. Speak to you soon. You too. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Wa alaikum assalam.